If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Hey everybody, this is Jack Garrity, you're listening to Be A Man. This is an episode of the week we're doing. Ah, that's redundant. Why did I start it off that way? We're going to push ahead. Hey, you guys catch the fight this weekend? Huh? Um, I didn't. You know, I'm referring to the uh, Mayweather-Paul fight. Who pays money for that? You have to pay per view on some network to watch that who is paying $50 to watch that fight a lot of people did that many many people watched that fight after paying for it um I like the idea of a 45 year old hitting a 26 year old in the face and them making each other bleed um i'm you know as crazy about that as anyone could be but i'm not about to pay fifty dollars for it let's see what else you could do for fifty dollars besides paying to watch that boxing match you could buy new pillows for your bed that's really important you need really good pillows a really good mattress and a really good bed frame for your bed you're going to be spending a third of your life on your bed. Buy some new pillows. Get some cheap ones at Target. You could have like 10 pillows with that money. Get a haircut, or at least part of a haircut, for $50. You could visit a local spa. Get a massage, maybe a little mani, or I don't know about the petty. On top of that, maybe a mani and a massage, or just a massage, depends where you go. Find a good deal. Hire someone to clean your apartment for 50 bucks. Come on, and just say, clean as much as you can for $50 and then leave. You don't have to do the whole thing, just, you know. You could donate the $50. You could give that money away to people who really need it. Like a child who's hungry. Or a dog with a broken leg. A poor defenseless dog or a child. Send someone or two people a random gift. That feels really fucking good for everyone involved. That's amazing. What a beautiful thing to do for someone. You could buy a round-trip bus ticket to see a friend or family. And then once you're there, you don't got to pay for housing. And then you can eat crackers while you're there. Burn it for warmth. Rent a van to pick up a free couch from Craigslist. Rent a van to pick up a free air conditioner from Craigslist. 
Rent a van to pick up a free chair from Craigslist. Rent a van for a joyride, including the insurance. You're going to want to hold on to that. You could wipe your ass with it and Snapchat it to all your friends with the tag, lol. You could buy one to three new shirts. Get two nice bottles of wine, one for you and a buddy. You could get your oil changed. I would suggest having a car first. Replace old pots and pans. Or you could drop a fat tip at the taco stand. In all those scenarios, you're either living a boss-ass life, or you're just... (laughs) You're living a boss-ass life. You're being a boss in all those scenarios. You're doing... You're making the world a better place. For, at the very least, yourself. Making yourself feel a bit better, get some clean new shirts, get a tight haircut or part of one. If you watch the fight, good on you. Next time, I just gave you a a bunch of ideas that you could consider instead. Uh, Not much of a boxing fan anyway. I've had a few concussions in my life, and I don't see any reason why I should watch a couple of people do that to themselves for eight rounds. Um, although it looks like it would be super fucking fun, but it's just, it would be hard for me to watch people hit each other in the head. Uh, if it was just body blows, I'd watch that. I'd watch that. I'm a sensitive person. It's the head injuries that make me scared. But they got got a lot of money. Good for them. Good for them. Good for them. Capitalism rewards good people. The best people. Floyd Mayweather and one of the Paul people. Anyway, I'm not ranting. This isn't a rant. This is exactly how I wanted to start the episode. It's just that I was just having a conversation about the fight with a couple people and I had some things to say what I really want to talk about this week is um creativity (laughs) oh my gosh um creativity and It's maybe a little bit of a continuing conversation of the fear and resistance episode. And this is just an idea that I'm continually working with, developing a relationship with, and um, constantly finding more and more inspiration um, from this idea of how fear exists in in my life and how it works within me and how it keeps me from doing things I really desire. I was upstate last weekend, went to the Fenimore Art Museum in Cooperstown, New York. It's a great little museum. They have some great exhibits. Um, This weekend, in this tiny little exhibit in Cooperstown, which is like a population of 2,000 people, it's a little tourist town, um, they had Keith Haring, 
kind of like a life retrospective of Keith Haring, the um, artist who started in the subways of New York City, and then a an exhibit of Ansel Adams, who's famous for, you know, who's become famous for all the photography, all the landscape photos he's taken of national parks. It helped um, bring attention to the national parks uh, system. But then he had this exhibit of Manzanar. It's called Manzanar, the wartime, uh, the wartime something. Um, It was the village in California that, oh, village, um, (laughs) it was an internment camp. Some people call it a concentration camp. Um, yeah, the wartime photographs of Ansel Adams and Manzanar. Um, it was essentially a concentration camp for Japanese Americans, uh, during World War II. I had never seen photos of this before, did not know that Ansel Adams recorded it, and it was basically in this desert valley in California, in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by snow-capped mountains, and they just built these temporary houses, and it was its own community. Um, people, like, had jobs, and there were schools there, and um, but people were taken from their homes and it started off as a suggested or um you could willingly come to manzanar but then i think after a while they started just taking people so there's photographs of signs up around uh businesses around america that um were owned by Japanese Americans and they said, I am not, or uh, I think there's this one business. It was like a general store. There's an image of the general store and there's this huge sign that the owner put across it that said, I am an American. And then soon after that, he was taken to Manzanar and placed in this internment camp. And, um, I'm not sure how long it lasted. I don't remember all the dates, but I, I learned everything I know about Manzanar I learned from that exhibit. I had always heard about Japanese internment. Um, I actually, I don't know if I had always known about it. I don't know when I first learned about that during World War II, but um, it was actually more recently. I don't think I learned about that in school. Maybe. I might have. Um, but if it, no details. Manzanar is the first time I've ever, you know, this... This uh, art exhibit is the first time I've heard the name Manzanar before. Um, So that was incredible. Those two little exhibits at this powerhouse of an art gallery. And specifically, I'm going to talk about the Keith Haring exhibit. Because if you know Keith Haring's work, you know how bright and iconographic and colorful the imagery is. And it's so playful and energetic And he is the kind of person who had such a big heart, um, especially for kids, for people dealing with AIDS. He himself succumbed to complications with HIV, I think in 1990, after his friends Basquiat and Warhol died. Um, And 
it just exuded so much energy in all his work and there's specifically there's a lot of the paintings that we're familiar with like his his um his figures that always looked like they were dancing or he would kind of draw these scribbles that filled a whole wall with all these scribbles and doodles and they'd fill an entire space with just like these black and maybe black and red or black and blue line drawings and doodles you can his his work is everywhere um, and he made a big point of making it as accessible as possible. You might still be able to find a lot of his things being sold in stores on shirts, and he had all sorts of merchandise that he tried to make his art as accessible as possible with. Um, so I would just suggest going online and looking up Keith Herring. If you go to the FenimoreArtMuseum.org, you can see um, their description of the exhibit and some images from the exhibit and stuff. Um, yeah, just very, very cool guy, very energetic, seemed like such a warm person, a warm, creative person. But there's specifically this one series he made called The Apocalypse in 1988. That it would be, it might it, I think it would be helpful if you checked it out too, after you listen to this or while you're listening to it or something. It was a series of paintings he made that essentially described the apocalypse as if it were a painting and he would have it's it's difficult to describe but he would have a little description almost as if it was like written in the bible or a religious text of some kind but um it wouldn't describe like any beings or um, he would describe it in terms of like colors and how the paint was moving across the canvas and what, what these things as they were as like buildings were collapsing and bridges were worse were collapsing and things were falling into the earth, how that would, what kind of color that would splash across his canvas or something like that. There's this really cool way of thinking about like this action, this activation of how he was going to create color and create this imagery in uh, these paintings. Um, maybe I'll read, I think I'll read one piece. It's difficult because the Keith Herring Foundation has all these things. Um, but I think in the exhibit there was like seven paintings that I saw and I had a good link here okay so this is page 10 this is the literature that kind of describes what's happening in the painting skyscrapers scrape rents of blue and white paint from the sky the rivers swirl with color nitrous ochres and reds eat through the bridges, falling into the rivers, splashing colors across warehouses and piers and roads and buildings. Amok art floods, inorganic molds, stirring passion of metal and glass, steel girders writhing in mineral lusts burst from their concrete covers, 
Walls of glass melt and burn with madness in a billion crazed eyes. Bridges buck, cars and trucks into the rivers. The sidewalks run ahead faster and faster. Energy ground down into sidewalks and streets by billions of feet and tires erupts from manholes and tunnels, breaks out with volcanic force. Let it come down. Caught in New York beneath the animals of the village, the piper pulled down the sky. And those pieces really resonated with me because his typical, I think his most famous work is the iconographic line drawings and really bold colors. And there's a lot of like movement from these figures he's drawing. And it's maybe a lot of paintings will just have black, bold black lines and maybe like two to three colors on it. But these paintings were largely white with like black marker and drawing faces and figures and branches and shapes and lines and all, you know, splashes of things and explosions. And it's really abstract and difficult to describe. So I hope you'll look, look it up. Um, you can also go to herring.com, H-A-R-I-N-G.com and look this stuff up. They have like each year of his work and everything up there. And, um, and then he kind of like uses those drawings to inform the paint strokes he makes. It was still bold colors, but it's a lot less sparse than his like really bright, bold, colorful paintings that colorful paintings that he's famous for. And there was just something about this raw kind of wild energy to these paintings that really opened my eyes further relating back to the fear and resistance episode because like the text I wrote didn't really make sense. It was just this really abstract expression of disaster and how it relates to color and painting and You know, in the context of if, if like the world was a painting or something like that. And um, I just thought like, it's so cool. He made something so strange and really interesting to look at. And it told a story and it, it was this odd idea. And it, it was really unique from all the other work he did. And I, it just, I don't know, it felt like something clicked again like it feel like this idea kind of keeps clicking or maybe it's different parts of the same idea clicking and it's all like filling in this it's like all painting by numbers and I keep filling in one more block of color in this idea that's really I think it's starting to transform my way of thinking a little bit where like nothing when when you're making something there are no rules you can do whatever you want. It does, you don't even have to be creating. You don't have to be painting. You don't have to be writing. You don't have to be building anything. We have all these things that we tell ourselves, I could do that, but you know, not now. Later, maybe with someone else in a different scenario. I think of stuff that way all the time. Why can't you just do it right now? What is actually preventing you from doing 
exactly what you want right now. It might not be able to be done right now in exactly the way you want it, but there's a form of it that might end up being even better than what you have in your mind. All you got to do is just do it. I feel like I'm just going to keep hammering this drum because... Ah, oh, this is a really big idea to me, and I think it doesn't just relate to being creative. I think it relates to the way all of us, like, I don't know, live our lives. I always feel like I'm operating out of fear, and I'm making my decisions based on what could go wrong or why I can't do something. Why can't I just operate from a place... That's like, oh, I want to do that. I can do that. There's this song by Daft Punk off their album from 2013 called Random Access Memories. The song is called Giorgio. And across the song, it's a cool song, but across the song they have this artist named Giorgio talk about his experience coming into music and I think he was one of the earlier people that dealt with um, uh, like looping music and kind of like making techno beats and rhythms and stuff like that. I don't know a lot about this guy, but that's the gist I got from it from the song. And he talks about this idea of that there are no rules. And once he accepted that there are no rules, he could do whatever he wanted. And I've heard that idea also expressed by Jacob Collier, the um, that amazing English musician who's like a savant. Uh, he can, he's like one of the most talented musicians ever, maybe. And I've I've listened to some of the things that he's done because he knows so much about music, and he talks a lot about like, you know, people study music theory, and they study other chords and. Uh, scales and things like that and and then often we think in terms of oh what scale is this what chord is that you know what's the what's the idea with this song like in terms of making music you can certainly overthink it I know when I'm trying to make a song I'm thinking way too much about chord progressions and the notes I'm playing over those chords and it keeps me a lot from experimenting more with music specifically but he said he reiterated the idea that Giorgio did in that Daft Punk song, and he said, there are no rules. It doesn't matter. You can make whatever you want. And I think certainly creatively, from a creative aspect, that's something I struggle with all the time, is that I think too much about, well, I'm not going to make it unless it's good. What I have to make has to be good. And I go back to this Keith Haring series, and it's just kind of insane and still like simple and it's accessible and it's just like thick black markers and globs of paint and brush strokes and he glues on some imagery like um some pictures and he just makes it like a tiny bit of a multimedia thing but it's really simple and it's just like this wild doodle that he made confidently and i you know, you see something in the exhibit like this and you think, wow, that's like really high art and he's really talented and all these things. But 
he's not making it for the museum. He's making it because he's making a piece of art and it's an expression of some kind for him. And I think when you see things in an art museum, you can, you, you, or I'll speak for myself, I'll see it and see, oh, that's a great piece of art. It got all this recognition. So now my job as a creative person is to understand how this person could have gotten to that point. I'll, I'll run it backwards to see all the decisions they made to make this piece of art. When in fact, that's not how the artist is. The artist isn't creating from the end product back to the beginning. They're not working on an equation. They're working from the very beginning. They're working with something they desire to do and the materials they have. And all you can ever do is work with the materials you have on hand. And often the materials we have help us make decisions. So if you feel like you have constraints with, let's say you want to go on a trip or a vacation, and you say, I can't do that, I don't have the funds, or where would I go, or like I would want to go with someone, and I, like none of my friends are available to go when I have vacation, whatever. That's just, those are just constraints. You could do something cheaper. You could go alone, or you could go with a different friend or a family member, or you know, maybe like a peripheral friend who you could possibly get to know better. You could find ways to save money. You could problem solve. And one of the things I learned, one of the best lessons I learned in design school was that the more specific the prompt, the more uh, restrictions I had that defined the decisions I had to make, the more freedom I had there because then a lot of those decisions were already made for me i could do whatever i wanted within those boundaries so when you have a door close and an opportunity shuts down that's just a, a constraint helping you make other decisions um i mean i feel like i'm telling myself this while i'm telling you uh, because this is an idea that I am wanting to like really slam into my brain because I know this is going to speak to a lot of us on different levels, but there are no rules to the way we accomplish the things we really want to accomplish. We make up our own restrictions in our head because that is resistance telling us we can't do it or we shouldn't do it because of all the reasons I've outlined in the fear and resistance episode, all those reasons we could possibly be afraid to do the things we want to try, go the, go to the places we want to go, be with the people we want to be with. We're willing to give ourselves any excuse because those instincts to deny ourselves of what we really want are extremely strong. Because it involves changing our own perspective of ourself, other people's perspectives of us, if we are to change the way we did things. You know, one thing I'm dealing with right now is that since I graduated college, I have not taken off a week straight of work. So I decided last month that I would take two weeks off. So I'll be going on vacation at the end of June 
and I'm like kind of struggling to fill the time. I don't really, I have ideas, but I'm like, I don't want to, I don't really know how to vacation. I don't know what it should cost. I don't know how to do it. And, you know, part of that is I've told myself I'm not a vacation person. I would rather use that time to work and make things. And it's also, there's a safety to that. There is certainly an identity and like a, kind of demented form of pride that comes with working all the time. Um, Got to say, each time I do relax, I realize I love it. I love not working. And I think it's just gotten to the point, especially after this year, where I um, am pretty burnt out. And doing the same thing every week, going to work, coming home, I... People say, what'd you do last weekend? I honestly can't tell you. Like I started this podcast by saying I went upstate last weekend. For the life of me, I am not certain if it was last weekend or the weekend before. I'd have to check my calendar. I don't remember. And that was a week ago. That's how time is moving by right now. And it feels insane. I'm trying not to pay attention to it because it's so weird. But that's kind of been the way it's been for the last year plus. Uh, time doesn't make any sense to me. It's crazy. Do I have any more thoughts on this? Let me think for two seconds. Anything longer than that would be unacceptable. It would bore you. Um, I think I think I I think I got it. That was an impassioned diatribe. I think that was pretty good. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Now I'd like to do a little something that I've been working on recently. It's a new, it's a new creative pursuit that I've been working on to try to activate some creative writing. Because... Ever since 7th or 8th grade, when we do a lot of creative writing in my English classes, I've loved writing stories, loved writing weird little things, writing jokes, writing sketches. It always felt like such a 
wonderful, exciting outlet for me, a place where I could go to just work out all these crazy, weird thoughts I get all the time. And perfect way for me to let off steam, just always been good, but I haven't written anything, really, since college. Uh, the creative writing classes I took in college were some of the f- my favorite classes in college. I had this amazing professor, Professor Blanche Boyd. She was just this amazing person and such a good teacher. But I, I'm out of practice, and I, I've loved writing for so long that I, I tell myself I should be able to pick it right back up. But it's been uh, almost a decade, really, since I've sat down and tried writing the way I used to. So I don't know why I w- would be able to just sit down and pick it right back up. When when does that ever happen in anything that you do? It's going to take work. It's going to take practice. you got to loosen things up and get back into the routine. So in order to shake things loose, I've had this crazy idea, and it's been inspired by this concept of there being no rules. There's no right or wrong way to do something. You just need to do it. And Keith Haring exhibit, you know, awakened this in me again. It reminded me of the Giorgio song. It um, made me think of Jacob Collier and, you know, all these reminders along the way of these really creative, expressive people who are just making things. And that's all I want to do. So I tried this idea of just writing pure stream of consciousness on the computer. Whatever comes to my mind, I'm just writing it down. And I'm only writing as much as I can possibly fit while I'm thinking. Because I, you know, I can type kind of fast, uh, but I think at I think maybe light speed so it's hard to catch all the thoughts but um, I'd like to read the first exercise I did um, at the end of May and uh, and then I'll kind of describe this thought process that I that I was going through as I was reading it and the things that unfolded throughout it it was a really interesting experience and This is probably going to sound crazy while I'm reading it to you, but uh, this is just stream of consciousness, just writing whatever I was feeling and trying not to hold back at all or judge anything before I put it down. Really just trying to create and put something on page that was like as pure as I could make it from my gut. So this is my first type, uh, my, my first try at this kind of writing and god here it goes shit ass typing bullshit retainer head brain fuck think too fast words can't run from my mouth to the tips of my head and i'm sick and spitting out fucking shit motherfucker hell and back to my fucking prick why can't anybody love me or why can't i let them love me while I love them back. Is that even true? 
help me settle and relax into my fucking rhythm, the movement of my natural rhythm so I can actually hear myself think and I can talk to my fuck shit airplane west side highway car ride hotel. Can I relax on vacation? Should I ever go on vacation by myself? How do I be alone? Is that proper English? I don't think so. Hinge dating sexy women giving me attention, but I don't want it. It's too much. Why do I keep asking them for it? I can't reciprocate, or maybe I can, but I'm tired and lonely all the t- all at the same time. I want something slow and breathable and comforting and relaxed, and I don't want to have to scream and slap motherfucker for it. Why do I keep typing motherfucker that way? Is this what a schizo thinks like? Do I sound insane? Can I get to a moment when I can hear my thoughts slowly, one at a time, and I can finish a thought properly so I can eventually begin to understand the themes of my life and maybe pick up some storyline here? Not like this is a story being told, but in a way it is exactly that. I keep thinking about hinge and attention from women. I just want a beautiful woman who I trust and who gives me space to be with me and let me be and accept my love and my touch without needing it super hard. Stupid email. I don't know how my email made a junk mail list, but I gotta turn off these alerts. What the fuck? One sec. God damn, that's annoying as fuck. Why are those lists legal? Is it critical to the success of capitalism that my name and contact information are as easy to sell as a convict hooker's shitty panties on Etsy? Is that where they sell them? It is a kind of craft. If what Pollock did with his body is considered art, then those filthy panties on Etsy peeled off the stanky snatch of some lady in Arizona is art too, damn it. I like snatch. Snatch is a nice, sharp description of the vagina, similar to dick for the penis. Women seem sensitive to the way you refer to their vagina, yet have little regard for the way they refer to our penises. Not that men do, but I wish we would have the same leeway with language for their little twats. I get it. There is a double standard, but there are also distinct differences in the way women's and men's bodies are discussed and portrayed in society. So there's bound to be sensitivity to how these things are discussed. That all being said, those of the UK have way more flexibility with words like twat or cunt. And that makes me envious. Is this freedom regarded across the demographics in these countries? Or are most men merely getting away with it while the women, once again neglected by society, seething behind the scenes? We'll never know. There's no way one could possibly find out. My guess is that everyone's cool with it. They just have different words for stuff over there. I mean, some people refer to the bathroom as the toilet. That's a little on the nose. It's polite to at least leave enough room to assume the person might just go in there to blow their nose or splash some water on their face. That's why we call it the bathroom in the States. Because we feel shame when any specificity is discussed regarding our bodies. The bathroom implies the washing of oneself and in no way suggests anything having to do with the toilet. We all know the possibility of toilet use, but saying bathroom suspends, but for a moment, and perhaps that's enough. Our understanding that a toilet even resides in that space. It is a room for the bath, after all. Maybe a quick toss of the head underneath the faucet is what they need. Just a cool rinse of the back of the neck in the tub. 
That's normal, and it has nothing that involves piping hot shit squeezing out of your ever-widening sphincter. That was it. That is what I wrote on May 25th. And um, I gotta say, by the end, I was surprised that I had actually started forming complete sentences after the way it began. Even if you just look at it, just visually it looks different. Um, There's a lot of word vomit at the beginning, kind of like straight brain waves. And then at the bottom, I started to kind of follow a narrative at least and like follow full sentences and coherent thoughts through and they and connected them to other thoughts. And then I was, you know, kind of surprised that I had this idea of the difference between calling the restroom the toilet or a bathroom and you know I've never thought of that before um, but it was interesting for me to enough for me to dissect it here um, I've done at least another one since um, and y- y- so the tough thing about something like this is that the first time you come up with a new idea, it can be exciting. It might even go well. Like this went a lot better than I expected it to be as, you know, as insane as it sounds listening to it. I'm sure it's like, what the fuck is happening? Uh, but it went a lot better than I expected. And because of that, I'm kind of expecting the rest of them to go that well and just jump off from there. So the next one was kind of interesting too. And then I did another one after that and it was like a lot of word vomit and I couldn't type fast enough. And there's like a ton of typos and which aren't that big of a deal. I could just go back and edit them, but it was a very different experience and kind of a more of a struggle and a grind. And I didn't really come up with any coherent thoughts by the end. And then I got kind of discouraged and I was like, oh, this is crazy. This is such a ridiculous thing to do because it already, even when it goes well, part of me is thinking, well, this is kind of insane. Like, I don't know what people would think if they saw this, you know, it's just interesting to think of all those thoughts that I'm dealing with there because no one has to listen to it. It doesn't matter. This could just be for me. It's a process. It's like a a practice, something I'm working on. And, um, you know, I think it's important when you come up with a new idea, something that you're trying to stick with it, give it a real shot. And, you know, this is a reminder to myself again to try this again, get back into it and see where this goes because for the first time in maybe eight to nine years I was able to write for a page and and you know with just this one idea in this form and then I had an idea after that writing and then I kept writing more I haven't written that much in almost a decade and it's like I've just given up so quickly on all the other ideas I've had So for this to activate 
this curiosity and this excitement and this energy in writing that tells me just with that, that I'm on to something here. And, um, you know, this is all about me just trying to develop a process, kind of a language of how I can work through this and do this thing that I want to do. That has just been a challenge for me to get up the courage to do. Um, so I hope that you all can find those mechanisms that help you do the things that you want to do because I think they're a lot more accessible than we want to believe and I think we're all a lot more capable of doing the things we want to we really want to do so suck on that hey so thanks for listening to this episode you can write the podcast at bmanpod at gmail.com please rate the podcast on apple podcasts I'm so thankful for the five ratings we have so far. It's very exciting. Um, And please tell your friends and family and everybody you know about the podcast. It's the way we're doing it. Uh, Word of mouth. Uh, And I really appreciate it. So I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. A Man is produced, designed, edited, and engineered by Jack Garrity. Music is composed by DJ Jazzy Juicy. Nothing is copyrighted, but please don't steal anything. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.